We do celebrate the uh, the birth of Jesus Christ at this time of the year, and I, I put in the bullet, and I think it was last week, how, how thankful we are that we understand the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, it's not just exchanging gifts uh, with family, friends, loved ones, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's great. Um, a lot of people feel that the exchanging of the gifts comes from the fact that the wise men brought gifts and gave them to baby Jesus or young child Jesus when they came. Could be, uh, but the gift giving uh, has gone on for many years and the greatest gift to us is Jesus coming for us and we know that's the uh, true meaning of Christmas. We use the word the incarnation of Christ. The word incarnation means in flesh. <clears throat> Pardon me. And the uh, Incarnation of Christ refers to the fact that the eternal Son of God took to himself a human nature, a humanity, a body. And uh, he became, of course, not only God, but man, the God-man. The result of the incarnation was that Christ, again, um, remains unblemished deity. And at the same time, he also remains true humanity, a true man. And John 1.14 brings this out clearly. But you know when we read John 1.14, we really ought to look at John 1.1 again. Uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So there you have God the Father and God the Son. And then in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here we have the eternal Son of God, who's pleased to come down and live among us. The Word, the eternal Son of God, became flesh and dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, because he's God as well. He is God the Son. The Word became flesh. And I love this whole chapter, John chapter 1. I love all the Word of God, of course. But uh, it's so beautiful. Um, For the law was given through Moses, verse 17. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time that is in his fullness. But the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he hath revealed him. If you want to see God, look at Jesus Christ. He is God the Son. And a lot of people uh, down through the years have tried to uh, picture and describe and tell what God is like. If you want to see God, you look at Jesus Christ. There's God, God the Son. And uh, how awesome that truth of Scripture really is. Remember, uh, Philip said to Jesus in John 14, Philip said to Jesus, show us the Father, show us God, and it will suffice us. Jesus said to Philip, Philip, have I not been with you so long that you do not know that he who has seen me has seen the Father? So when you see Christ, you see God, because in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And I've mentioned this before when we get to heaven. People have asked, you know, what will we see when we see God? I believe uh, we will know three things. I'm going to say it that way right at this point. You're going to know that the Father's there, God the Father. There'll be a manifestation. God is spirit. Those who worship him worship him in spirit and truth. You will see God the Son, 
because he will maintain that humanity throughout all eternity. And I believe also we will have a sense of the Holy Spirit being there, the three persons of the Godhead, very, very clearly taught in the Word. Now we focus on the birth of Christ. Um, Luke chapter 1 is the passage we looked at last week where the angel appeared, angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and said, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. And boy, she never, she never forgot that. And that's a great truth, by the way. The Lord is with you, and he's with you this morning if you know Jesus. No matter where you are, no matter where you go, he's going to be with you. And he said to Mary, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. You will receive in your womb, uh, you will, pardon me, conceive in your womb, and uh, bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Well, then she says, well, how can this be? And then, of course, the angel explained it, and this, there's a clarity to the word of God. Um, I, I love that truth. Only um, a few theology books that I've ever read talk about the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture. And again, when you talk about the clarity, doesn't mean there aren't passages that are difficult to understand, some things in the book of Revelation, some things even in the book of Daniel. Some things are a little different. But there is a clarity to Scripture. The clarity is in relationship to God, by the way. He's knowable. He speaks through his word. And all these things are true. Well, the angel says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Luke 1, 35. Therefore, also the Holy One who is to be born will be the Son of God. And then Mary responds and she says, Behold the hand servant of the handmaid of the Lord. Hand servant of the Lord. Bateser. Let it be uh, to me according to your word. Now this is important. Mary is saying, I submit to the fact that God wants to use me to bring to earth the Son of God. Again, last week we focused on the virgin birth of Christ and we called it a divine miracle. Again, Luke 1.35, the power of the highest will overshadow you. The Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And of course, with the Holy Spirit being involved, you have there the miracle and the protection of the Lord Jesus, the God-man from a sin nature. Very clear in the Word of God. Uh, Jesus would be that Holy One that would be born, unlike any other infant that's ever born. Everyone who ever lived apart from Jesus Christ has been born with a sin nature. And uh, we, we understand this to be true. Uh, the word of God is very clear. Uh, Adam's sin, death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Yes, we inherited our sin nature from Adam, but we have chosen to sin uh, as well in our lives. However, Lord Jesus was born of a woman... And was a human being, but as the Son of God, he was without any trace of sin. And there are a number of passages that talk about the fact Jesus Christ never sinned, never committed sin, because he was fully divine uh, and fully man. True God, true man, united in one person. And because it is true that Jesus Christ came and dwelt among us, took upon himself flesh and blood. We talked about this last week, and I, I just felt I should remind us of the fact that he uh, also, being man, understands our experiences and our struggles. 
Uh, isn't it true that there were times when he was thirsty? Isn't it true that there were times that he was tired? Isn't it true that there were times that he was rejected by his own people, the nation of Israel? Isn't it true that he was lied about? Isn't it true that he was despised and rejected, as the prophet Isaiah said? The answer is yes. And as a man, he experienced many of the things that we experience. And that's why the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, he was in all points tempted as we are. Every area of temptation he was tempted in. So therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find mercy, obtain mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. So when you think about the fact that Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven, took upon himself flesh and blood, and lived a sinless life for 33 years, remember the fact that he was truly man, and he understands. Uh, once in a while you'll hear, catch yourself saying, I don't know if God understands what I'm going through. I don't know. Yes, he does. He truly understands because he's, God the Son who took upon himself flesh and blood. So therefore we come boldly to the throne of Christ, uh, grace. And then also we mentioned because he is God, Jesus Christ is God, he has the power and the authority to deliver us from sin. And that's very important. We were praying yesterday in uh, men's Bible study for someone who really needs to know deliverance from sin. And uh, God can do it and he will do it. We know he's done it for us. We, we turned to the Lord and uh, he forgave us of our sins and has given us new life. Colossians 2, uh, 9 and 10. He has forgiven us all of our trespasses. So when you put your faith and trust... By the way, this is a good thing to remember. When you put your faith and trust in the Lord, all your trespasses were forgiven. All were forgiven. So interesting and wonderful to know. So that is great truth regarding the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Now as we go into uh, Luke chapter 1, you'll notice uh, that uh, it's clear if, you, if you're there now and, and you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 1, I want you to notice this is going to be a key verse here, Luke 1.38, where we read, Then Mary said, Behold the handmaid servant of the Lord. Some translations say the handmaid of the Lord. Behold the maid servant of the Lord, verse 38. Let it be to me according to your word. And in other words, she's saying, whatever God wants me to do, I'm going to do it. I submit myself, Lord, to do your will. <laughs> and what a, a challenge she had to become the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so we... Think of two words which we studied yesterday morning, the word consecration and the word sanctification. Mary here consecrates herself to the Lord, and as a result of consecration, he sanctifies her. You and I as believers, when we consecrate ourselves to the Lord, Romans 12, 1 and 2, where we say, Lord, I give my life to you. And I mentioned yesterday, that's one of the beauties of Christian camps. That's why you want your children to go to Christian camp. Because they're challenged to live for Christ. They're challenged to consecrate their lives to the Lord. Of course, unsaved kids, they're challenged to know Christ as Savior. But one of the big things the Christian camps do is challenge teens and children to live for Christ. 
So uh, if your children want to go to Christian camp, boy, by all means, pray about it and see what the Lord will do because that's where they're challenged to consecrate themselves to the Lord. And I'm going to mention this point now. We'll keep moving along. But when you cons- uh, uh, consecrate yourself to the Lord and say, Lord, use my life, He in turn, this ties over into the area of sanctification. He in turn does a work in your life, in your inner life, and he keeps setting you more and more apart to him. And he will give to you more and more opportunities to share your knowledge of Jesus Christ, not only with the lost, but with those who know Christ. God will use you. Consecration and sanctification. Mary uh, consecrated herself to the Lord. But when she hears about what's going to happen in her life, she makes a trip to the hill country to see uh, her relative Elizabeth, who would give birth to John the Baptist in three months. She wanted to see Elizabeth because she wanted to share the joy of the fact that she was going to give birth to the Son of God. And Elizabeth, in her old age, was going to give birth to, as we know now, John the Baptist. And so she then, as a result of this, if you'll turn to um, chapter 1, verse 46, she, as a result of this, begins to give what is called the Magnificat, coming from the Latin translation of the first words of the text in verse um, 46. That is her words. She begins to praise the Lord. And this is a beautiful section of Scripture. And one of the things you see is that um, there's tremendous joy. Sure, I'm sure there were a lot of things that went through Mary's mind with regards to, wow, I'm going to be the mother of, of the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the one who all our people down through the years, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the people of Israel uh, who really knew God, they were looking forward to the coming Messiah. And now Mary is the one who was chosen by God, probably a young teenage girl, to become the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she's touched by this. And as a result of this, she says or sings what is recorded in verses 46 through 55. And I'm going to mention this at this point too. What's really beautiful about this is you see that Mary really knew the Lord. She understood what he has done for his people. And we'll talk about this in a minute. But she knew much of Scripture. And now, back in that day, Mary didn't have a copy of the Bible like we do today. She would listen when she went to the house of the Lord to worship. She would listen when her parents would talk about the Messiah, would talk about things that God has done. She would listen carefully. God wants us to be good listeners. He really does. So we see these things in this song of praise. And you'll notice again, verse 46, key verse to the section. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, uh, we are also, and some of you read the Daily Bread this morning, I found out this morning, uh, talked about magnifying the Lord. If you haven't read the Daily Bread, look at it later today. My soul magnifies the Lord. We magnify the Lord when we take into our thinking some of the aspects of the greatness of God. Uh, In other words, 
when you think about God's creating our world. And what's, be- what's the beauty of uh, John chapter 1? It says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and all things were made by Him, and apart from Him nothing was made that was made. Jesus, the one who was born of Mary, is the creator of the world. He created everything. A lot of people don't know who Jesus is, do they? You know, some people say, oh, he's a good man. He was, a, he, he was like a prophet to some people. Uh, Islam considers him to be a prophet. Oh, he's so much more than that. He's the eternal Son of God who took upon himself flesh and blood. So Mary, having been chosen to, having been <laughs> chosen to uh, give birth to the Son of God, magnifies the Lord. And we can magnify the Lord as well. When we reflect upon his greatness and his glory and his goodness, the psalmist said in Psalm 34, verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. We know the names of the Lord. Uh, you could probably reflect upon. There's a, actually over 300 titles and names of Christ in the Word of God. Uh, we're studying in the men's uh, Saturday discipleship class the book called, uh, and scripture, The Power of the Names of God. Tony Evans wrote that book. Excellent book. Excellent. And, and it's good to go real slow through it and see how God revealed himself to his people. In fact, uh, Isaiah 52, verse 6, in the New Living Translation says, The Lord speaks and says, I will reveal my name to my people, and they will come to know its power. You see, there's power in the name of the Lord. In fact, we know that today, don't we? You can be in a group of people. And uh, let's create the scenario. You're in a group of people who may not know the Lord. And you mention the name of Jesus. Woo. In some circles, woo. I've heard people say that uh, their school teachers said that they couldn't mention God in the classroom. Now, I'm not saying that happens here. But I have talked to some people, some kids who said that, well, we're not really supposed to talk about God in the classroom. You know what I say? Baloney. That wasn't a good response, but you know what I'm saying. After hearing the words of the angel Gabriel, after visiting with Elizabeth and understanding what God was going to do, Mary begins to think bigger and grander thoughts of God. And when God continues to do awesome things in our lives, it's amazing how we can just say, well, you know, God's blessed me in this this week. I'm telling you, that magnifies the Lord. When you can say, you know, I had this need in my life and God came along and he supplied. It is amazing how that magnifies the Lord and gives him the glory which he deserves. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit. There's the soul and the spirit. We're a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. And this morning we're here together taking care of our inner being, our soul and spirit. Later we'll go to lunch and we'll take care of the body. 
but right now, soul and spirit, right? And what does she say? She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She's saying, my, my whole self, I just magnify the Lord. I'm going to move along quickly. She actually goes into three areas uh, of praise. She talks about in 46 to 49 what God did for her. It's beautiful. She talks in verses 50 to 53 what God does for us. And in verses 54 and 55, what God did for the nation of Israel. It's very quickly. Uh, notice with me verse 47 where she says, My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. You see, Mary had to be saved. We're not involved in the veneration of Mary like some groups are taught to do, even in Catholicism. We're not into the veneration of Mary. We respect her as someone who was chosen by God. But she is not the queen of heaven. She is not one that we are to pray to. She is a humble servant of the Lord. And she was chosen by the Lord to be the mother of the Messiah. But you will notice it says very clearly that she was saved. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So she's thankful like we are this morning for our salvation. And then also you'll notice she says in verse 49, He who is mighty has done great things for me. And uh, she is so moved by the fact that she was chosen to be the mother of our Lord. Uh, she's so moved by this. She even states that succeeding generations will call me blessed. And has there been a woman ever born who has been blessed more than Mary? Not really. <laughs> she gave birth to the Son of God. It's awesome what God did in her life. And so as a result of this, she wants to magnify the Lord. She, she wants to acknowledge his greatness. And then in 53 to 50, uh, 50 to 53, she talks about a reference to all of God's people. Look at verse 50. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. And we're many generations down from Mary's time. And we know God's mercy has rested upon us. His uh, undeserved compassion and grace uh, have been poured into our lives as his people. Mercy is God's compassion, which is given to us in time of need. And, of course, our greatest need was forgiveness of sin. And uh, you, you need to constantly remind yourself, uh, look, I'm saved. I'm forgiven. Heaven's my destiny because Jesus left heaven and came here for each of us. How awesome that is. Um, she mentions in this section 51, 52, and 53 how God uh, amazingly has shown mercy to uh, the helpless, verse 51, those who are humble, verse 52, and the hungry in verse 53. And uh, it, it, she's just got a great knowledge of all the things that God wants to do for his people. And he is to be glorified. He's to be magnified. In the 51 and 52, where she talks about what God did for Israel, he scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And, and pride's a terrible thing. <laughs> you know, God, God blesses the humble. And we, we have to be so careful. There's no room for pride in our lives as believers. She probably was thinking about Herod. I'm pardon, pardon me, not Herod, Pharaoh. 
who in his arrogance to the people of Israel, when Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, look, the people of Israel have been slaves in Egypt now for many years. They want to be free and they want to go out into the wilderness and they want to worship their God. And Pharaoh says in his pride, he says, who is the Lord that I should let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I'm not going to let Israel go. Pretty proud, wasn't he? He did let him go, didn't he? And um, his army got a little shower a little later. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Very quickly, uh, we see that Mary understands the value of worshiping God and the value of true worship. And uh, the first thing she understands, and we want to catch this before we close in prayer, that worship, worship of the Lord is internal. It comes from within us. You see, she says, my soul and my spirit worship God, magnify the Lord, my soul. And so we're here today and we're not dependent upon externals. When, when we come into a service like this, you and I, can, we can talk to the Lord. We can say, thank you, Lord, for the words of that song. We can say thank you for that song that was sung, which testifies of the truth that our loved ones are with you. And you see, we worship God from within. It's Worship is internal. Jesus said they who worship the Father must worship him in spirit and in truth. And uh, that we do. We worship God from our hearts, and that pleases God. Secondly, uh, true worship is not only internal... <clears throat> Pardon me, but it is intense. It's intense. You notice she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I, I just want to speak of him, how great he is. I want to exalt him. I want to celebrate him. I want to esteem him highly. The daily devotional, the daily bread for today, he, he began or she began, whoever wrote it, talking about a guest band that was filled with enthusiasm as they worshiped God. Now, uh, let me say something here. Uh, I'm trying to get my thoughts correct here. I have been to services where, and, and I don't sit there, I'm not there to sit in judgment upon others, but I've been to services where the music, I don't feel, I, I'm just going to say it was just so loud and so... Um, Rocky, and I, I, I couldn't get into it. Okay, you hear what I'm saying? But now, they said in the Daily Bread this morning, they were to a service and they had a guest praise team. And that guest praise team, they said, we could see that they were worshiping God. Isn't that neat? That's what they said. That's how they said it. We could see and understand. Now, please don't say that Pastor Rogers is against all contemporary Christians. I'm not. Okay, I'll endure it. I know where to buy earplugs. <laughs> I'm not against all contemporary Christian music. Not at all. But here, let me repeat what I just said. When you look at that devotional for today, it said, we went into that service and there was a guest praise team and they were really worshiping God. That's what Mary's talking about. 
My soul magnifies the Lord. I want to uplift Him. I want to rejoice in Him. True worship is spontaneous. It's, it's heartfelt. God's in it. We're here for God. And that's interesting. That's what God wants to see. Thirdly, quickly, true worship is habitual. It's present tense there. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. She desires to continue to speak well of the Lord. When you're at lunch with people, when you're at work during the week, when you're out in the car with someone, I'm telling you, I'm going to repeat this again. It really honors the Lord when you can say, you know, I had this tremendous need in my life and God supplied that need. I'm telling you, God is pleased when you and I are willing to say, here's what God has done for me. That's what Mary said. Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1.20, I desire that Christ would be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And lastly, on true worship, true worship is to be marked by humility. We come into the presence of the Lord and that we recognize that we are to be humble servants of the Lord. What did, uh, what did Mary say? Behold the handmaid of the Lord. She was saying, Lord, I, I'm willing to give birth to the Son of God. And Lord, whatever you want me to do in my life, I am willing to do it for you. Because you have blessed me so much. Remember the twofold blessing upon Mary? One, that she was chosen to be the mother of the Son of God. Also, she experienced salvation like we have. And so she was thrilled with this. And so she understood that God was worthy of worship. How, how blessed we are as believers to know not only that he loves us, he gave himself for us, he watches over us, but he's willing to work in our lives in such a way that we can become more and more set apart unto him. Consecration, sanctification. There's a relationship between the two. When you say, you know, Lord, I, I know I got family responsibilities, I have work responsibilities, but Lord, in my life, I just want to give my all to you. I want you to use me for your glory. When you do that, see, God in turn comes and he says, I'm going to keep setting you apart more and more to me. I'm going to give you more opportunities to speak for me. I'm going to bless your life abundantly. Uh, sanctification is God setting us apart from the world and setting us closer and closer to himself. Doesn't mean we don't fulfill our responsibilities in the world. You've heard that little phrase, we're in the world but we're not of the world. Okay, when you consecrate yourself to the Lord and say Romans 12, 1 and 2, Lord, I be, uh, where the Apostle Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may approve of what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that's what we want. We want the will of God. Let's pray together.